welcome Michael Levine, Executive Chairman and Co-Founder of Tastes on the Fly, bringing terminals, some of the top restaurants, bars, and chef concepts that a community has to offer, replicating the authentic experience from the modern traveler. We are excited to talk to you today and about how tech is influencing your industry and the future possibilities ahead. Thanks for the invitation. And uh, thanks for reading that, that that press release of ours. I haven't heard that in a while. Thanks. I like <laughs> Michael, just to get us started, we'd love to learn, how did you get uh, involved in the restaurant industry? You know, I, I was kind of grew up in a, my my father back in Midwest owned cafes. They were always small. I said I'd never be in the restaurant industry, but <laughs> I had a company back in the late 70s, 80s, well, 80s, 90s that did fairs and festivals around the country that evolved into music festivals and sports events. And one thing we did was we did like taste, taste, T-A-S-T-E, taste festivals. So I, I had relationships with restaurants and restaurateurs. Uh, we brought them into whether it was a street fair instead of having nowadays Food trucks are hip. Then food trucks were called roach coaches. Uh, so <laughs> you'd, you'd go to a festival and there'd be the same thing and somebody would be serving crappy coffee and hot dogs and there would be five of those. We brought more creative endeavors. And um, I had one of the first like food carts, literally five foot by seven foot mobile cart on casters on the streets of Berkeley that put three of us through school. Uh, we <laughs> We drank wine every night. Okay, I mean, it was like amazing thing, but we never saw ourselves as business people or entrepreneurs. We were in drama and history and uh, philosophy, and we just saw this as a way of earning money. But other people looked at it and said, oh, we like what you're doing. You should come and do this festival for us. And the first time we did one, I realized we were doing more business in a weekend than we did all week. So we became a festival operator, a festival caterer to say. A friend of mine was looking to get into San Francisco airport in 2000, 2000 San Francisco airport. Willie Brown was mayor then. He wanted to redo the entire food program instead of one master concessionaire, which is what they called him. Um, they wanted to have individual operators and maybe more mom and pop and more minority. And they didn't really think about it as restaurants, but that was kind of their hope. A friend of mine who owned a couple of restaurants that were actually chain brand restaurants said, oh, boy, this is my opportunity. He went to a meeting. He came back and said, no, they don't want to do that. They want the crap that you do in your fairs and festivals. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they want to bring in real restaurants. So I said, I can help you with that. And we did, and we uh, operated the first Ilfernios at the International Terminal in San Francisco Airport starting in 2000. And uh, we very quickly realized there was a niche for real food uh, done from scratch, um, served instead of you know muffins that were wrapped and four days old, but trying to be sold, that they were delivered fresh daily. So that kind of propelled us into this kind of new market, which was restaurants that were the same kind of quality and experience you'd get on the street, but you'd get them in a restaurant. And in those days and before that, I mean, we all would say how terrible restaurant food was. I, You know, most people that fly today will remark that what a change there is, particularly in the last 10 plus years, 
within airports uh, in the choice of food, the variety of food and the quality of food. And I'm proud to say that we were part of that. I love the loyalty aspect that Tastes on the Fly encompasses. Since your first location, as you mentioned, opened in the San Francisco International Airport, you've been committed to promoting staff from within. I believe it was 30% of your managers started as staff level employees. So, yeah, you know, that's even, in truth, is that's even higher today. Wow. Um, that's we amazing. Just, we, we just did at all um, airports, and we're now in five, five, yeah, five airports. Um, we just did a, you know, first quarter, because it's hard to do at end of year, kind of wrap up, um, acknowledging where we've been after um, a very difficult two years with the pandemic. Right. And acknowledging staff. And it's really impressive to see faces that you've seen that were literally, you know, pizza cooks or bartenders or even busboys that are now assistant managers or sous chefs in the kitchen. And when people stand up and say, I've been with Taste on the Fly five years, I've been there seven years. And then you get people that go, oh, no, I've been here 17 years. I mean, it really is very impressive within the industry. At the same time, in fairness, labor is a real issue today, um, and it continues to be. But I am, you know, delighted to say that when we returned and we actually closed 25 of 27 restaurants um, after COVID, we kept two open. We now have all of our restaurants back open. We've had them for a while. 90% of management came back. So wow. that's just a good tribute, a good thing. That's yeah. pretty amazing. I mean, so what do you think? What is it? What is the magic that keeps oh, I think it's, so loyal? I think it's, I don't even think it's magic. I think it's what every industry, every business that succeeds does is you have a culture that is aimed towards your, your, your team, your associates, that they become first, that you are people focused, people first um, company. And when that happens, people say, okay, maybe I could make more over here. Maybe I, the hours are a little different and maybe this is that, but you know what? I really like where I work. They, they acknowledge me. They, they remember my name. They remember that my kids are now graduated and now off to college. And I, I think that's successful in any company that I know that you feel good about. I mean, I, I want people to walk into our, our operations in airports or anywhere and see people having fun see the people believe that the staff is enjoying working together and what they're doing. And you don't always see that, you know, in other sure. places, you know? Right. and For you don't sure, always yes. see it in ours. And when I see it in ours, I go, okay, what's wrong here? How do we fix this? What, what is missing? What happened here? So I think that's, I don't think it's magic. I think it's basic that that's what you got to do. I think that's really great. And, you know, as, as someone who frequents the airport way too regularly, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And, and I could see the difference. I could see the experience when the people actually providing service seem to enjoy what they do versus just kind of counting the minutes till they, till they can go home. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. really great. In our industry. And there's people that have written books about it, you know, Danny Myers and, and others, you know, the, the idea is, is that it's, it's really, I love Danny Meyer's comment on it. You know, it's, it's a dialogue. It's not just service one way, but it's so easy in today's world. And we're going to talk technology to think just only about transactions and forget that it's right. a human exchange that you're doing. I mean, yeah. I mean, we could all get nutrients and food from pills, you know, or 
fluids, right? As if we were up in early days in space, I guess. But the idea here is, is that it's, I mean, we spend a lot of time dining, right? You know, in our lives. And it, we all can be, we all remember great dining experiences. We all know the difference in when you're treated special. I mean, everybody can't discern between that perfectly done saffron rice or, or maybe the perfectly made Negroni, but they certainly know how they were treated. So my belief is that's where you focus first and then the rest of it follows in. I love that. So as one of the world's leading boutique airport dining operators, and as you said earlier, collaborating with top chefs and earning top accolades for your singular focus, I'm just curious, how do you expand while maintaining that philosophy? Um, we're, we're really picky. <laughs> I mean, we could probably be <laughs> in 20. We could have been in 20 airports. You know? I mean, friends always say to me, oh, I was over there. Was that one of your restaurants? And I go, was it good? <laughs> okay, so um, before I answer, but in reality, um, we're very picky. We only want to be in top tier airports. We only want to be in A plus locations. You can't do all that. And then when you can say to somebody, look, we've got a new location. For instance, I'll, I'll throw this out there. You know, the old TWA terminal that was designed by uh, Howard Hughes which was built and opened in the 60s, was been closed for years. A developer reopened it as a hotel, which it is now with 512 rooms. We were asked to look at the whole old ticket booths in there. And you guys know the space. It's been in movies. Yeah, um, yeah, it's famous, it. right? It's and It's a brilliant building. It was built. Um, it sits right across from JetBlue. It was almost torn down three times. They, made, they survived it. Um, we were offered to put a marketplace, kind of a cool, fun market because we're known for doing artisan markets. And I looked at the space and it was cold and freezing in February and the place was all concrete. I went, no, this is a terrible location. Thank you for the offer. <laughs> and I said, what else you doing? And they said, well, upstairs is the old Paris Cafe Lisbon Lounge. And we're thinking about doing a full service restaurant up there. And I walked up and I said, OK, we want to be here. And because we knew what that could be, we then went to Jean George Group and said, would you partner with us to do this? So it was a combination of we knew how to do airports. This was tangential to the rest airport. And also it was a great, unusual, unique location. So, you know, we, we try to expand based on where can we go that we can absolutely make a difference. And that's always been our edge. And listen, there's a lot of great operators out there. I have some great friends in the industry who are competitors. And, you know, we always share with each other and say, I saw what you opened. I just flew through Miami. That is brilliant. Really nice job. Thank you um, for taking our industry another step further. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, as New Yorkers, we were going to have to mention the TWA Hotel. And I did. I, did. I know. I, it, I mean, it is. Incredible. It is definitely an experience. Well, everything about it, the restaurant, the Paris Cafe, just the whole environment. Well, and, you know, and, and we have the fortune of also, I mean, we have the Bobby Vans restaurant in, in American Airlines Terminal 8. It's been there for 10 years. American wanted a classic, you know, New York steakhouse. They approached Del Frisco's, Delmonico's, they approached uh, Smith & Walensky, they approached uh, Frank's. They approached Bobby Vance. Everybody said, no, thank you. Not interested. Um, 
the developer Westfield at the time came to us and said, okay, this is what you guys really do. Go find us a steakhouse. I said, in order to do that, you need to give me some, you need to give me some juice. You got to give me something. So we got an amazing long-term lease, which you don't always get in airports and a great deal. We went out and the first time I met with Joseph Smith, one of the owners of Bobby Vans on Wall Street, um, we teased and joked. And after three hours of sitting and drinking, of which I criticized his menu because he had nothing vegetarian on it except a 1960-style portobello mushroom sandwich, um, <laughs> we uh, we cut the deal with him, right? And it's a great success. And it won every award in the industry because it was breakthrough that um, that they got this full-blown, full-on steakhouse in American Airlines. We're not the only ones today. There's Palms and airports, there's others, but at the time it was breakthrough. That's just, New York. That's, that's New York. New York. Yeah. Just to go back to the TWA example again, isn't this a departure? Well, no pun intended, having the restaurant outside of airport security. And is that something you're looking Good. to try to expand on? Max, I, I like I like. I like the pun, whether you intended it or not. It was good, brother. I like it. Um, you know, we have in the old days, international terminals, you wanted to be pre-security because everybody came together, they gathered, they hugged, they wished each other, they had, you know, the final drink or, you know, or or sandwich at lunch, and then the people went on the plane and you could walk through with them. When that changed after 911, pre-security or also known as landside became not great. Even it's still okay in international, but in domestic, not where you want to be. So everything started to move post-security or airside. And part of that reason was is people wanted to get through the line as fast as possible. You couldn't any longer carry liquid. So if you buy a bottle of water pre-security or a juice, you got to get rid of it. So all that changed. I have a fun fact. We know, Max, you love your fun facts. According to the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, 2.9 million passengers fly every day in and out of the U.S. airports. Wow, that's more than I expected. The difference with TWA is it's a hotel connected by those beautiful red tunnels yeah. that was in the film Catch Me If You Can, right, where Tom Hanks caught, yeah. you know, uh, Leonardo um, and or tried to catch him. And <laughs> so it, it's a hotel connected to an airport. And that's a little different. Thanks to Taste on the Fly, there's Napa Farm Market at the San Francisco airport, which I think- Which, so which cool. I visited, by the way, when yeah, I deboarded like, a plane, I remember. It's like a real farm stand in the airport. Yeah, and you know, that, that was a concept that we developed. Um, I mean, it kind of mirrors what my own culinary taste and lifestyle is. And uh, it just made sense to us. It's extremely successful. We have sister restaurants in Boston called Berkshire Farms. We just opened one in Vancouver called Pacific Farms. And um, eventually at JFK, there will be a Hudson Valley Farms Market with the same thing where it's local artisans, best in class, um, you know, a variety that you would look at if you were, you know, in your well, I want to say in the old days in a Dean and DeLuca or something of that nature in an airport. And, and you know, and part of that, and I'll, I'll segue into that, the change in the hospitality industry, and I can speak from restaurants a little bit from hotels because I'm in them because we have a partnership with one. Um, you know, it was always moving towards digitalization and what could be done that would make it faster and more convenient. And um 
I don't even want to say this word, but it's true, and give more control to the guests. Taste on the Fly is really transforming the airport dining experience. With the pandemic, we saw consumers adopting new technology like touchless payment and app-based ordering at restaurants. I mean, by now, most of us have scanned a QR code to reveal a menu. Could you share your perspective on adopting this technology and if it's been successful or if it takes away from a more traditional human experience? The pandemic rocketed that, needless to say. I mean, it just changed everything for everybody. So from contactless check-in, whether it's at a restaurant or hotel or the airline, to QR codes for menus instead of, you know, touching menus. And everybody began to realize, hmm, there's something here. And it's kind of good because it makes people feel more like it's a convenience for them. Right. Our company was built on high touch with high tech, not high tech first. So for us, it was a bit of a shift even though we'd already gone that way and we always saw that there was opportunity, but everything we do, we always have an alternative. So some people absolutely say, thank you. You've been in the airports at my friend, Rick Pladstein, who's also a New Yorker who has OTG and he pioneered the order from a little computer screen in front of you that turned to iPads. And then the food comes to you. And there are times when you go I want that. It's fast. I don't need to have a discussion right now. I've got my headphone on. I'm in a Zoom meeting or a call. I don't need to have interaction. But there's other times when you want that human contact and interaction. I think the, I, I think all of us want to be treated as guests. And I think everybody w- wants to have that, oper- that, that choice. So we try and offer the choice. You can go through our market and there is a self-checkout. You can scan and self-checkout like you can in a Home Depot or a Whole Foods or everywhere in the world. Um, or you can talk to the person about how you want your cappuccino with one half soy, one quarter oat, one third almond, you know, half decaf. You can do that. And I believe that's what is I, I think that's the way the world should work. It's not always going right. to work that way because the whole technology piece of it, and, and there's several that have happened in restaurants and will continue, means that you're able to, in some sense, reduce down your labor component. Right. And labor is the issue today. So it became more propelled in the last two years, and I believe it's going to continue. If it's an alternative, I mean, I, I get a little frustrated if I go into a restaurant today and I go, you know, I know how to do a QR code. I can do that. But honestly, I just like to feel the menu. Right. Do you have one? Can I just have this in my hand, please? No. And they're like, sorry, we don't have it. Okay. All right. I, I know how to figure it out. Again, I think, I, I think it's about the choice of doing that. And, you know, whether it's self-order kiosks, which, you know, the fast food industry blew those up. I mean, they were in Europe for decades. And then finally, it's here. I mean, you can't go into a McDonald's or or any fast food without having the alternative of a pre-order kiosk. Um, we all thought, ah, that won't work for us. Not true. People are, they go, I like this. I don't have to stand in the line. I know what I want. I've been here regularly. Um, I know I can order blank, blank, blank. And, and that speeds up the throughput. And usually in what I would say is a quick casual or, or a, you know, a fast casual 
kind of an operation. I mean, we have a couple of restaurants in San Francisco called Klein's Deli. They started on the hill in Petrero Hill. Um, Deborah Klein did them. A friend of mine years ago brought them to the airport. Um, She decided that she was done with the airport. We acquired them. I mean, from scratch, from scratch, a sandwich is made to order in a deli the way it should be. Okay, not (laughs) pre-wrapped, not done. You choose it. If you tell me you want you know, hummus on one side only, you want mustard on the other, you want your schmear in the morning, the bagel on both sides, done. It's four minutes from the time you stand in line to check out. I mean, we time it all the time. And because the staff gets it, they know what it is, they're prepared for it. But you've got flight personnel who know exactly what they want every day. They want the Fillmore or the Marina, and they go just go up to the pre-order kiosk, they enter it in and they just go over and it's all paid for and they're waiting. They don't have to stand in the line. So it works for both kinds of folks. The first timers through and say, I don't know. Oh, no, no, no. That's too much. I'd like that on it. And oh, can I, is is there a better pickle there? Can I have that one? So I think, I believe you got to have both. Um, But there's so many new things that are going on in restaurants and they're going to creep into airports. I mean, some have dark kitchens. I mean, virtual restaurant. The restaurant doesn't exist. It has no brick and mortar. It has no four walls. It's here. You order and we just deliver because we've got Caviar and DoorDash and Uber Eats. And there is a group, whether they're millennials or whatever the next group is, Gen Z's or Gen X's. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think we're up to Z, yeah. We're up to, or yeah, and then we got to start over. Then we got to start over with uh, Alpha. Yeah, so now it's double A. It just (laughs) says, I want to eat offside. I don't, I just, I don't, I want to just order it. Bring it to me. So those restaurants don't need brick and mortar. And an interesting thing, and we actually tried to do this about five years ago, is um, both drone and robot delivery. I mean, it's working. It's happening. Um, I mean, there's limitations in it, but- we joke that, um, you know, couldn't we do um, delivery to gate, which some airports have, but couldn't we do it with robots and and do that in an airport and they wouldn't have to be badged, they wouldn't have to go through security, they wouldn't have to be unionized, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we thought about doing that. Um, it's totally happening, not yet in airports per se, but you certainly see it on the street and with deliveries of, of restaurants and I, w- again, I would think it's happened. only a matter of time at this point, because I mean, yeah. airports are typically single level, They're, you know, wide corridors. It's it's perfect for a robot. I'm, assu- I'm assuming the robot could even keep your food cold or hot or whatever you need. That's the do, idea. So totally. that, that would be and, great. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, at first we were like kind of pioneers in San Francisco. We tried to talk them into doing it because a friend of mine went from created a robot kind of company to do this. And th- there's several now. Right. I mean, there's. But the delivery robot, I think, is just cool. It's fun. They're, they're fun to watch. You think it's neat, right? I mean, they they can do everything. So it's probably coming. Most consumers are interacting with tech on the front side of the restaurant. But you, you start talking about some examples of technology being implemented behind the scenes in the back of the restaurant, like smart kitchens and more automation. Yep. Uh, what, what are yep. some of the examples of you know, some of that tech that's getting implemented behind the scenes that consumers don't probably even know about. You've got um, what I would call prep line um, robotics. And 
Chowbotics, I mean, you go up, it's like a vending machine. They will make a salad to your order. You choose what you want. It's put in together. You do it. Boom. It's yours. Um, Cafe X has a robotic espresso cart, and it's brilliant. And the robot dances in front of you, and you watch them all the time. And you can choose the flavor of milk you want. You can choose her dry or wet or extra milk. And it's and it's really well done. First time I saw it, I was like, okay, I, I, we got to have this. We got to put this everywhere, right? And um, uh, it didn't turn out that way for lots of reasons, but it's very cool and it's and it and it's neat and it's entertaining as well. And I think that's fabulous. Um, what else? There's like um, Spice out of Boston has a back of house for stir fry and and for bowls. It's all back of house, so it's all done by robotics. And then it comes in the front and real human beings, right, do the final assemblage and serve it to you. But the back of house, which is often tedious, of, you know, cutting and peeling, you know, six types of vegetables day after day after day now gets automated. And Sweet Greens, which is a major player, what, 600 locations or something, you know, in a healthy food environment, um, purchase spice for their technology. So you're going to see more of that. And again, what does it do? It reduces down a labor component and labor is the biggest issue for every hospitality group nationwide or maybe even worldwide now. And where have you seen the most notable change of tech in your industry? POS for one, um, you know, which is point of sale systems. Um, you know, you don't see somebody except maybe the cornered 80-year-old, you know, cigar shop with a, you know, with a cash register doesn't exist. So all that changed, but the way they're done now is they interact, they interact to a pager to call the person to to trigger it. Um, You can tie it with cloud technology into your inventory system. All that allows for management back of house, more control and more speed of being able to say, I'm operating my restaurant my restaurant's open 12 hours a day, but I'm there 18 hours a day because I got to do this. So that's all kind of cool back of house stuff. In addition to the guest facing technology, which I talked about of online ordering or self-checkout, those kind of things as such. You, you, know, you don't see, it's rare today you see a printer in the kitchen anymore. It used to be they, you know, you order and it prints out and they got the wheel and the tag is up there and how many tickets and who's up next. It's almost all digital mini TV screens that everything is on today. And again, what that does is it hopefully eliminates errors. Oops, we lost your ticket. You know, right. there you yeah. go. Sorry, that's why your food didn't come out. So that that always reminds me. I had a couple of years ago uh, a company approach me and say because I I do a lot of technology, especially with cellular connectivity, and they said, "Hey, we've got this great idea. We're going to implement point of sale." handheld terminals that the waiters can walk around with and take the order and process payment, you know, right at the table. And I said, it sounds like a good idea. I mean, they were kind of small at the time, but we started working with them and it it turned into, I don't know if you've used them or we see them all over the East coast company called toast that does POS terminals. So that, you know, they, they kind of, I guess the concept was really well adopted because overnight they went from, you know, asking me for, you know, 20 or 30, cellular connections for their handheld devices to today's thousands and thousands of 
cellular connections, but I guess I guess that's more to the consumer experience of, hey, you know, maybe no. the traditional sense I want to wait for my check versus the new sense of, hey, I, I could just process your, you know, your your card right here at the table as well. I think it's absolutely what again, everybody isn't sure they want to do that, but we've done handheld um point of sale systems for, for years. We started with order man. Um, we did those kind of things. We had little belt clip printers. So the person could say, you know, can I, you know, did you want to try that junior's cheesecake today at Bobby Vans? Right. And can I get you a cappuccino? And they go, no, I got to catch my flight. And you go right there. I don't leave. I'm standing right by you and I'm printing out your check for you and handing it to you way better. Uh, you know, increased service, increased feeling that I'm special. Um, we, it's interesting. You say toast, we had toast in probably half of our operations and we're shifting over to 100% of toast. It's, wow. it's a great, it's a great platform. We like it a lot. Um, and, and you called it that, I mean, it, there, there's a little bit of a difference there, uh, in how it's handled, but it's, it, it's now seamless, totally works. And, you know, again, there's guest facing experience, but it also is how it allows us to to operate it and, and the and the reports that you get within that. I mean, it's it, it's just interesting. I mean, look at you can order food. You can't just search for a restaurant on Google. You can order once you get there, you can actually order food. You know, the app will shift over now and allow you to do that. Speaking of apps, how does social media play a role in your industry? It used to be, I would call you, Max or Eric, and say, hey, I was at this new restaurant. It was awesome, man. You should go there, you know, get a reservation. It was all word of mouth. Restaurants were word of mouth. Today, it's Yelp. It's everybody is a reviewer, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, people sometimes just search and say, okay, I'm in, you know, I'm in New Orleans where we're going to be for Jazz Fest. And Okay, here's the restaurant listing. Okay, that, that they paid for that one. Now, what does Yelp say? So it's changing the way you're experiencing and what you're choosing to do with dining, without a doubt. And that could not have happened without technology. Your POS system, whether it's toast or that, will track and tell you, and you can analyze and you can now change what you're doing. And you can also look at what people are buying. So marketing also becomes more efficient and effective. By, by utilizing what is there in technology today. You know, we often talk IoT and sensors on this podcast. Yep. Max's favorite topic is. Is, is IoT. I mean, we would have sensors on everything if it was up to Max. But I was wondering, I know that aside from efficiency and customer satisfaction, I think it could be a major influence in reducing waste. You know, tastes on the fly is responsible and dedicated to sustainability. So do you see this transition happening in your industry, using it? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of been, uh, again, it's kind of where we came from. We had a focus on sustainability and then our environmental impact early on, um, partly because, I don't know, because we went to school in Berkeley or whatever. You know, but So we were kind of, we always were like, okay, if there's, how do we do this when it was recyclable? And how do we choose companies that we work with that package that way? And then, you know, we were, again, one of the pioneers in using only compostable. We gave up straws, what, four or five years ago? We said right. we're only a straw upon request. Um, we clearly went to paper straws early on. Um, those kind of things, you know, I, I think are there and available in terms of how you make your restaurant 
more appealing or, and, and the more appealing might be just internal. It might just be, I'm working with a company, which is why I said earlier, that cares about this as such. And in some sense, that flips over again to how does technology help make that happen? And certainly with inventory and controls and where you're ordering from, who's providing that, how they're doing it as such, all those things have become much easier to deal with. So I'm curious with all this available technology, and I remember when I started flying regularly about a million years ago, as Erica likes to remind me all the time, uh, I remember airlines had meals on planes, and that's kind of gone away over the last 15 years. So do, do you see yourself considering extending that fine dining experience to passengers by incorporating that delivery to the gate or some kind of additional yeah. to-go options? Sure. So that that's a really good question. I mean. Part of that went away for several reasons. I mean, part of it went away because of, again, a 9-11 kind of changed some of that. The other was is that airline, you know, low cost providers came in and they changed. And so other airlines said, OK, maybe we don't need to offer food on a plane. Maybe we only offer it in business or first class or international. Um, there is fine dining available on certain international flights. I, I mean, you may or may not have flown on those airlines, but my guess is at some point you have, and you can pre-order and the restaurants for years have you know, tried to set themselves apart by saying, we have so-and-so, we consulted with this chef group, whether it's Blue Ribbon in New York, or whether it's this cool hip restaurant group in Houston, Texas, and they put together a menu plan for you. Um, last time I was on JetBlue, they've got Pasquale Jones, right, is, is who's doing, he didn't do the food, but the food was crafted and, you know, and created along the lines of that restaurant. Um, there are a couple of apps that airports use, Grab is one, At Your Gate is one, and restaurants are listed, you order and it's brought to you. I think there's good and bad in that. One is, is it's kind of, is it added revenue for a restaurant? Is it more convenient for the guest? You passenger, you go, I don't need to stand in line. I'll just go down to my gate. They'll bring me down my cappuccino. That cappuccino will be terrible by the time it gets to you. If that, <laughs> gate, if that gate is more than 20 feet away. So we have an issue with it and we will only allow certain products to be done that way. Otherwise it changes it. If you ordered a fish and chips from, let's say, Coors Silver Bullet Bar in Denver, and you were in a gate in the opposite side of the terminal, but you wanted that, yeah. it honestly would be so unedible by the time you got there, right? Because the time they put it into a to-go container, it went into one of those like pizza heat things. The person walked it all the way down there, finally got to you after they dropped it off. You'd go, what happened to this? You wouldn't have crispy fries. You'd have soggy fries. So we try and control that. But there is a guest, a passenger, a customer who wants that. And certain items work. I think a Reuben sandwich could make it. You know, I think it could work. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that whole concept of a singular uh, point of view and, and how you deliver a really high-end experience. And I'm, I'm, I'm really curious if you had to envision, which I'm sure you do as a CEO, your company's growth over the next five years, is it by replicating that singular focus or is there an opportunity here to also grow, I guess, globally through things like local partnerships? 
Yeah, I, I think local partnerships are exactly where it is. Um, I mean, I even envision airports in partnerships. I mean, uh, we the, the capital costs in an airport are astronomical and they've gotten worse um, after pandemic. I, everybody, I mean, we stopped construction on a project in Vancouver for two years. We halted project construction on a project in Denver. I mean, you didn't have a choice. I mean, not only did it not make sense, um, you know, it was like, where are we putting our capital? Are we going to keep right. our team on and pay them? Or are we going to like buy steel right now because the price is going up every week? So we have even talked about a public part, private partnership with airports or airport authorities and said, you know, we should do this together because the cap, the, it's intensive CapEx to, to play in this game. And, you know, and there's other programs, you know, I mean, nobody's pretending here. I mean, we, almost everybody in the industry who knew what they were doing um, got PPP and separate funding, but all that did is allow you to stay in business. Now going forward, it's like, you have to make certain choices around that. Um, but I mean, we, we would, we would, again, let me back up where I was. We would go to any top tier airport, whether it's Hong Kong, whether it's Montreal, um, whether it's Rio de Janeiro, if we had the right location, the right lease terms, and we had the right partnership there. And that might be a local JV with another restaurant group that we said, oh my God, we love what you're doing. Do you want to come into airports? You don't, you probably have said, no, I don't want to go into airports. It sounds terrible because <laughs> I'm going to pay twice as much rent. I'm going to pay higher labor. It's going to cost me three times as much to build. We'd say, okay, we're experts at this. Let's do this together. That's awesome. All right. Well, that brings us to game time. Nice. <laughs> All right. Ding. This is a game where we call it drinks, deal, and for this podcast, departure. So I'm going to give you three names and you can then tell me who you would have drinks with, who you'd make a deal, or who you'd just send into the departure gate. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Number one. Already mentioned, Danny Meyer, founder and CEO of Union Square Hospitality Group, started by opening the Union Square Cafe in 1985, known for numerous restaurants, Gramercy Tavern, The Modern, also opening the Shake Shack and turning it into a publicly traded company. Number two, Randy Gerber, known for his business in the entertainment and hospitality industry, founder of Gerber Group, which includes multiple bars and restaurants. And we cannot forget... He is the co-founder of Casamigos Tequila. Which we drink a lot of. <laughs> and Sir Richard Branson, British entrepreneur, founder of the Virgin Group, which controls over 400 companies, recently formed Virgin Galactic, world's first commercial space line for space tourism. He is also a major contributor of fighting climate change, investing considerable amounts of time and money in supporting global initiatives to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So who will be? Okay. Who would you like to have drinks with? Who would you like to make a deal with? And who are you sending to the departure gate? Danny Meyer, definitely a deal with. Um, okay. You know, uh, there's already an exclusive by someone with Shake Shacks, but I mean, we would want to do one of his one of his iconic brands. Absolutely. It would be a, a wonderful experience to do. Um, and um, drinks with, well, 
Randy, I don't know. I know his brother, Scott, and I know they're one of their senior members, Vince, because they ran the bars for the first two years until through pandemic at the DWA hotel. So I already have somewhat of a co-relationship with them as such. And Love to have drinks with them at one of their bars, right? Since they're no longer there. Okay, this sounds funny, but we actually did the opening for Virgin America in San Francisco Airport for Richard. We threw a party for them that was hosted as such. It was a special group that had already bought or was willing to spend the money to be on the first flight of Galactic. Um, The planes flew in close. And there was video of them and they landed on the tarmac and we hosted a party for Richard there as such, um, knowing his personality and having met him there as such. Right. I'd be happy to walk him out to the departure <laughs> gate. <laughs> I love that sounds great. I, that was a great choice. Thank you for talking to us today. We really are looking Fun. forward to visiting many yeah. of your numerous locations. Maybe Look forward like we- to seeing you. I'm back east. We're back there in two weeks, so maybe we'll see you. That would be great. Would be maybe great. we'll we'll get the Gerber brothers to join us for drinks. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> okay, you guys. Thank Take you care. so much. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening today. Please continue to listen and subscribe. You could always find us on Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. You could find us on Instagram at Techie and the Blonde or ask us any questions or suggest topics we should discuss at techieandtheblonde at gmail.com. And our new and exciting website has launched techieandtheblonde.com. You can find tons of content, pictures, everything discussed on the episodes. Thanks again. (laughs) 